0: Hello, friends. Welcome back to another episode of Theology in the Raw. If you are listening on the podcast that I just want you to know, this is also a YouTube channel. And if you're watching me on YouTube, hi, (laughs) then... That was dumb. Um, If you're watching on YouTube and you're like, "Oh, I'd really just love to listen to this and not look at you," then you can go to my podcast, Theology in Iran, and check it out. Uh, if you want to support the show, uh, go to the show notes. You can check it out. Uh, you can go to patreon.com/slash forward Theology Nirvana support the show for as little as five bucks a month to keep the show going. And uh, yeah, if it's impacted you in any way, would uh, appreciate your support. I have on the show today a good friend of mine, uh, Don Pape. Don, so Don and I go back to 2011 when I, in a a flurry of events, I ended up co-writing a book with Francis Chan called Erasing Hell. Some of you remember that book, and maybe that's how you first came across my name. Well, Don was the publisher of that book. In fact, Don is the guy who, um, several years before that, Found some relatively unknown pastor in Simi Valley named Francis Chan and said, I think this guy has a voice that needs to be heard. And he signed Francis to a book deal to write. A book called Crazy Love. Probably many of you have read it. Um, Don is the master Yoda of Christian publishing. He has worked for several different publishing houses. He's been a literary agent. He now is he's starting kind of a new thing called Pape Commons. You can check it out. Uh, I believe it's Papecommons.com, but the link is in the show notes. And Don he's just I love Don because he's so honest. He will talk about the pros, the cons. Um, and everything in between, when it comes to Christian publishing, he's he's an amazing um, person to go to if you have questions about writing. And so we even talk about that. Like, if you want to write a book, what should you do? Should you self-publish? Should you try to get a, a, a mainstream publisher to look at it? And if you do actually get a contract, like what what what's what kind of finances you know are we looking at here for a first time? or a new author. And then we talk about just all kinds of stuff related to Christian publishing. This is a different kind of conversation, a different topic. I've never done this before on the podcast, but I was like, man, I think there's a lot of you out there who want to be writers or you would like to know what goes on behind the scenes in Christian publishing. So please welcome to the show for the first time, the one and only Don Pape. All right, I'm here with my—I uh, could say my long-term friend Don Pape. Uh, Don and I—we met um, way back in 2011 when At a um, f- fashion friend- island.
1: Yeah. Wait, what? Which? <laughs> it was a pub, an Irish pub. An Irish
0: Newport. pub. Yeah. <laughs> in in Irvine or something or somewhere yeah. down. It, it was, was Fashion Island. That's right. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so uh, yeah. Um. Yeah, and we've been. I mean, I, I I refer to you. I don't know if I have told you this, but you're kind of like the, you know, the master Yoda of Christian publishing. Have a. You've got a long journey. You've been an agent. You work for several different Christian publishers. So, um. Yeah. Why don't we start there? Why don't you tell us why you got into publishing and give a, a few minute summary of the last twenty five plus years or more, um, about your journey in Christian publishing, and then I want to get into some of the nitty gritty. About what that looks like, and what you kind of hope it could look like, uh, if you had it, if you <laughs> if you had your finger on the the button, uh, so to speak. So, yeah, give us uh, give us a little snapshot of your journey.
1: Well, I mean, really, I started out uh, some thirty six years ago, actually. By I was on university staff in Canada, and at the time, university press actually had a, a publisher and a warehouse in Toronto, and we could make extra money. I, I worked on high school staff with InterVarsity, and you could make extra money going up to the warehouse, picking, packing, and shipping boxes. So, you know, getting orders out the door. And that, I caught the bug. Um, you know, my my degree is in poli-sci, and I thought I was gonna have a marvelous career in public, in not in publishing, in poli-sci uh as a foreign diplomat or something and God got a hold of me and and that all changed. But anyway, got the book bug at in an IVP warehouse. Hmm. And then from there, um I I had a stint. I was a graphic art artist designer. I worked for a graphic arts company. Oh. I did uh full page at ad- this is back in the day pre-MAC. <laughs> <laughs> and then um you know I went from that from graphic art design to by being a book buyer uh for, a for a ministry organization. And then after that, um, for a chain, um, owned by the Mennonite publishing house called Provident bookstores, uh, back in the day in the eighties and I guess early nineties, they, since the Mennonite publishing house closed them back in the day. But, um, so I was a buyer for that chain. And then that led me to being a marketing, uh, director at David C. Cook in Canada. And while working there, I left and did my own marketing uh, company for Waterbrook Press and Cumberland House and Howard Publishing. Mm-hmm. That got me, that brought me to the U.S. Uh, Waterbrook Press brought me down to Colorado. Originally, it was supposed to be six to nine months as a consultant. <laughs> uh, and then I I got on full time with them. And we've been in Colorado now 20 years. So I worked, I was a uh, Publisher I acquired, one of my career highlights was we acquired at Waterbrook, Harold Shaw Publishers, and in acquiring them, we acquired a number of books by Madeleine Langle uh, oh, that wow. if you've read A Wrinkle yeah. in Time, uh, Walk on Water. So that was one of my highlights in my publishing career, getting to work with Madeleine Lango and her granddaughter, Charlotte. Um, then I became publisher at Waterbrook. I left that for a, a stint as a literary agent, as you indicated, Mm-hmm. Uh, and represented, uh, a group of authors that was fun. And then left there to go to another publisher here in town, all publishers here in Colorado. I, we didn't want to move at this point. Yeah. This yeah. was, this was home. So, uh, went to David C. Cook and, uh, I, you know, we our sort of big launch was, uh, acquiring Francis Chan, who was a little known pastor from Simi Valley, <laughs> which is, you know, kind of where we connected at some yeah. point. Launched that. And, uh, then from, uh, David C. Cook, I went over to a a smaller imprint navigators, uh, nav press. So Nab press is the publishing arm of the navigators ministry and was there for about six and a half years. And then I left, I resigned that position this past fall. Um, my wife and I through the COVID experience working from home, just really felt being called out of that. Mm -hmm. Um, and so we January four we launched Pape Commons, which is a, a literary agency. Um, it's a gathering of voices. I'm calling it. It's a, a little a literary agency with a difference. It's community over commodity. Okay. Um, I really want to work on um, while whilst I'm a literary agent and brokering you know manuscripts, I also want to really build community. Um, okay. I think writing is a lonely existence. Yeah. I think yeah. for Christian writers, it's even lonelier, um, and then uh, I just want to build community. And, and really, uh, Preston, to help Christian writers get out of what I, I'm calling the evangelical bubble. Uh, we're preaching to the choir, yeah. and, for the most part, <laughs> and fostering a really robust bestseller industry, but I think there's time and a place, particularly now, for Christians yeah. to represent Jesus a little bit better, uh, without any political of affiliation, and speak to our times. So whether it's fiction or nonfiction, um, I'm excited.
0: Yeah, I'm excited too. I mean, you 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 bring a wealth of a wealth of a diverse array of experience to that. So I'm 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 excited to see what that turns out. And I want to return to the whole evangelical bubble and Christian publishing, and would love to have you kind of help us understand what goes on behind the curtain, so to speak, in Christian publishing. But first, why don't we, um, you know, I, uh, let's talk about just uh, what is it, what does it mean to become a writer? Or specifically, like, I know a lot of people in, in this audience listening, maybe are writers or aspiring writers. Like what, what's your kind of big picture advice when somebody comes to you and says, Hey, I Don, I, I think I want to, I think I want to write a book. Um, what do I, how do I do that? Like what, where do I go from there? what, what's your response to that question? I'm sure you've gotten that a lot over the years.
1: Well, I'll do an on air plug. Read George uh, Saunders book, a swimming upon in the rain. That's a great resource. Okay. <laughs> He's a master class writer, okay. uh, a prof on, uh, on writing. So that's a start. Donald Moss. If you're a fiction writer, okay. I mean, I'll cut to the chase, just write really well. You know, there's a lot of crap out there. Mm-hmm. Um, And I, you know, I jokingly tell authors, I'm all about fine wine. And what I mean by that is there's a lot of Kool-Aid out there, instant (laughs) stuff, you pour a little water and a little flavor and you get, you know, orange Kool-Aid or strawberry Kool-Aid. There's nothing like a beautiful bouquet on a Merlot, right? Or a Chateauneuf du Pop. I have no money gained from saying that, but (laughs) (laughs) so, uh, yeah, I just encourage writers to hone their craft. And, you know, what I mean by that is sometimes, you know, it might mean taking a, a BFA course or degree or an MFA. It, it might mean, uh, you know, 42 rejections and then finally the good one. Um, it might mean um, just really writing, you know, what what Anne Lamott calls bad. Uh, what are they, you know, first drafts. Um, yeah. so I, you know, I just, I just, I, I, I see a lot of poor writing out there. Yeah. Um, Christians and non-Christians alike. So I'm not picking on just a Christian, but I think we get away with Christians writing poorly. And I just, I, I feel like we should have a higher standard.
0: Yeah. Um, why, why is that? I mean, I, I. From the outs, from a somebody who's slowly learned the craft of writing, it's, it's taken me many years. I didn't aspire to be a writer till fifteen years ago, um, so it's t- I've, I've been playing catch up on the back end of what it even means to be a good writer. And I still, in no way, consider myself um, a good writer. I'm, I'm okay, I think, but I'm, I'm, I've learned to appreciate. Wow, when I read a good writer, like I'm reading um, The Road by Cormac, forgot um, his last name anyway. Super creative. I just got done with *The Great Gatsby* and *To Kill a Mockingbird* and some of the classics. I'm like, these are these are beautiful, creative writers. I don't see a lot of that in the Christian world. How does that Kool Aid get through? Like, like what 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 is explain to help us understand the environment where so much Kool Aid is being produced? If I can put it like that.
1: Um, Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's interesting because I often say some of my favorite. Christian novels are written or published by non-Christian publishing houses. You know, I, I think of Lee Anger's "Peace like a river or John Dalton, Heaven Lake and uh, Gilead, you know, uh, some really beautiful writing. Uh, I, I jokingly said to an editor recently, you know, if Bonhoeffer or C.S. Lewis was starting out today, they wouldn't have a hope in hell. Why? Is Honestly, that? why? Why? Uh, because probably C.S. Lewis wouldn't have an Instagram account and, you know, is not big on Facebook and, you know, much, you know, so much I hear it over and over again is, well, your author doesn't, your writer doesn't have a platform and yeah. it's, it's based on, you know, how many Facebook uh, followers do you have? How many means, memes can you create, you know, the Twitter following. And so that's become our, our kind of, uh, ground level judgment is Preston. If you have 52,000 followers on Twitter and you have a great Instagram account with pretty memes, um, we'll get you a deal. But if you're a really good writer, man, it sucks to be you. <laughs> I mean, it's <that's laughs> well, being that... crass, but it is, it is, yeah. our, it's the challenge that's before us. And, um, I, I feel like, you know, I am being crass when I say that, but I feel like there's a, there's a time and place and I've, that's what I'm about is like, I'm saying, yeah, that's all good. And that's it's reaching the masses, but I, I really want, you know, my, my, um, my mentor, Dan Rich often reminded us, you want to publish a book that's going to be long standing That's going to have the long tail that 25 years from now, people are still talking. And, and, you know, you look at that, that's, Madeline Lengel. It's mm-hmm. C.S. Lewis. It is Bonhoeffer. It's mm-hmm. Tolkien. It's you know a number of those authors that you go, yeah, they've withstood the test of time. Mm-hmm. People are still talking about them and reading them. And um, you know, I, I'm not going to mention names, but there's a lot of Christian books out there on the market that five years from now, heck, twelve months from now,
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: probably won't exist.
0: Um, so it is a tension. I mean, here's. Help me wrestle with this because, you know, Christian publishers, you know, obviously the assumption is they want to put out good content and each publishing house has their kind of theological boundaries and how they, what they see is like beneficial for the kingdom of God. At the same time, it is a business. So if a megachurch right. pastor with all these followings comes and says, Hey, I want to write, I want to put this sermon series into a book. And the publisher's thinking like, well, this can easily sell 50,000 copies just by his own platform Like I, it still is a bit like they, the, the, the publisher needs to pay the bill. So I don't, I don't, I used to be a little more cynical, like more idealistic, like how dare you, you know, put out something that's fluff, like just put out good writing, but it's like, well, they still have to exist. So if nobody's going to buy it or appreciate it for 10 years, like then (laughs) then people aren't going to pay the bill. So is that a live tension that you have to wrestle with or do you feel like that,
1: that that is, that's very much the tension is, um, OK, if – because not only does the publisher have to pay the bills, but you, the author, need to pay bills. So right. I can't ask you, Preston. OK, tell your wife, hey, you're going off for the next six months and you're going to hang out at your writing cabin in the mountains of Colorado and write an amazing book. And by the way, we're not going to make any income. Uh, right. <laughs> Right. You know, so you so you have to be duly compensated, as does the publisher. And so but I I think where the tension has has occurred is that, you know, it's gotten to the place where a lot of money is being paid out. That is never recouped. Uh, You know, that's what we call the advance, which is kind of tantamount to a loan. So, you know, I do a book deal with you and I say, you know what, I'm going to loan you thirty thousand dollars. And then when I make that money back based on the sales of your book, then you'll start to get a a nice revenue, you know, the royalty stream. Right. And so the bigger the loan, so to speak, the more books we have to sell, you know? And so, you know, you look at Barack Obama's book, that's $35. Well, there's a reason that book is $35 and they're trying to sell because, you know, it was a seven figure advance that the publisher wants to recoup. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what, what I often say to, to authors when we're talking about book deals or even, you know, advances in that, that I think it would be much better to get a reasonable advance and get subsequent checks for royalties than to get this one big lump yeah. sum and then never see another dime, you know? Like, so what essentially I mean by that is the author over gets overpaid you know, just a million dollars and their book sells 20,000 copies. Um, Mm -hmm. So, so anyway, it's perspective, but it it very much is the tension of the author and the publisher world about, you know, how much money we're going to pay for this book and not lose our shirt. And then, you know,
0: go ahead. Well, uh, I want to come back to the advanced thing. I'm just, just to give our audience kind of a, A ballpark figure. Say you're a a first time author. You've got a good idea for a book. Um, You've got maybe ten thousand followers on Twitter. Maybe maybe you're a pastor. Your church is like five hundred people. You know you could probably sell a few hundred copies on your own. You know Um, the publisher's like, no, this is a good book idea. I think I think we want to publish it. What kind of advance and royalties are we looking at for somebody like that? Um, So.
1: I now see everyone leaning in to see what number I'm gonna say, and I can see the entire agency community panicking <laughs> and also published authors going, well, I didn't make that much money <laughs> so so at the risk of offending everybody that's listening, <laughs> I w- I would say, I mean, given that scenario, first time author, they bring something to the table. Um, you know, it's, it's, you, you could be as low as a $10,000 advance as high as maybe thirty thirty-five thousand. 35,000, you know, depending on the publisher, you know, so it, 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 it all comes down to the publisher saying, I want to take a risk on this author. And while, whilst I may think it's this dollar value I also think it's a dollar value in investing in Preston. Okay. So I, I think Preston, your book project is probably worth 15,000, mm-hmm. but I also want to invest in you as a, as a writer and as a, a spokesperson for our company and uh, having someone on the roster. So I'm going to overpay, you know, I'm going to pay probably another 10. So I'm going to pay you 25,000 for this property because I really love to have you on board. Okay. Um, yeah. and then of course it, you know, it es- escalates if you're, you know, a pastor of a mega church, you know, and you're bringing five, 10,000 people that are going to be your consumer. Um, it-, it escalates. Okay. Yeah.
0: So, so when a mega church pastor, um, and Andy Stanley, uh, I'm blanking on past, you know,
1: Greg Rochelle, yeah, Mark Patterson, there's a number of them out there so, that are, you
0: know, when they have a huge platform like that, they're and, and you don't need. So I'm not. Let's just leave aside specific names because I don't want to give people the impression that I know how much they got. But for somebody with a really big platform, aside from the quality of the book, I mean, they're in the six-figure advance. That's pretty common for somebody that um would you say, or even seven figures.
1: Yeah, and and you know, let's pause here and pray that they're all tithing, right. <laughs> 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 you might want to edit that part out. <laughs>
0: no, I don't I don't I don't want to edit anything out. <laughs> so <laughs> so yeah. I that- mean, yeah, you if
1: you are a, a large pastor and of course as you build on your career and you're now in book 2 or 3, then you're yeah. you're building an audience, right? So you've now gone from 40,000 people to maybe 50,000 or 100,000. Right. And so The publisher now knows. Okay, when we do your book, Pastor Mega, um, we know that we have a built-in congregation of your 20,000, or you know your listeners. You know, and some some of these authors, you know, think of them as global uh, influence, and so that allows the publisher, you know, to take uh, foreign licensing and publish. You know, I think back to Crazy Love with Francis, where you know that sold you know, rights to Korea and Germany and mm. a variety of different countries. And so that that all is part of your earning back your advance.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So is I mean, I in my more cynical moments when people come to me and say, Hey, I want to write a book, can you hook me up with David C. Cook or Zondervan, you know, I in my more cynical moments, my next question isn't even what's your book about, but like, well, how many followers do you have? Like what's your what kind of marketing Collateral can you set forth? Otherwise, these publishers probably aren't even going to look at your book. Is that how's how's that cynical or is that pretty truthful? Or uh, I mean, no, it's
1: you're not being cynical at all. I mean i have a uh, I have a number of authors that I am working with right now. One in particular who's a pastor of a church that has, um, I think, three or four congregations, but you know they're not a mega church. Yeah. Um, amazing content, but, you know, every editor reviewing it saying, whilst it's a good book, uh, this loved, beloved pastor doesn't have a big enough platform. So, you know, Mm -hmm. he doesn't have the 150,000 tweets and all that kind of stuff, Twitters. (laughs) So, you know, so you're not being cynical at all. I, you know, I think every, all the publishing houses have established these benchmarks Or even mandates, I I believe, where it says, okay, editor, if you're acquiring this person, they need to bring X to the table. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it's going to vary from publisher to publisher. You know, I don't know. I'm discovering what that is. But, you know, every publisher is going to be different. And to the credit of the editor, every now and then, an editor is going to say, you know what? I'm going to ring this author. I'm going to, you know, ring this author up the flagpole. I really believe in them and I'm going to try to wrestle sales and marketing to the ground and say, hey, guys, you know, I'm not asking too much here, but can we take a risk on this person? Mm-hmm. Uh, because I think they have something to say and long term they could be a player. You know, they could, you know, while they, you know, maybe are just entering uh, the publishing field and maybe they only have, you know, a thousand people listening to their podcast. Yeah. I think there's potential here. And, P.S., their writing's not half bad. So, yeah. <laughs>
0: I, <don't... laughs> I mean, that's that's almost word for word what you told me back in 2011. I mean, I was a no-name author. Francis knew me. We did this book together, and then I did one, two, two more with David C. Cook when you were um, when you were there. And that's you said, hey, I I think you even told me that, or maybe I heard. From you, well, and, and you know honestly, they're like you're like, "I think it. I, I want to get behind this. I like his voice. I think he has something to say. and
1: yeah, yeah, and I smile because I mean, just recently, I saw that your publisher is bringing those books back out with yeah. new covers yeah. and and yeah. Uh, in in yeah. the case of Fight, for example, a new title. And you're right. I mean, when I, I I vividly remember meeting with you in that Irish pub in California, you were driving one heck of a clunker. <laughs> and I thought, if nothing else, we need to help this guy buy some gas for this car. But <laughs> but, um, but no, I, I just remember meeting with you and thinking you have a fresh voice. And, you know, like I, I look at the book Fight, that that's that wasn't being talked about, right. uh, and it was a fresh approach to nonviolence. And you know, I mean, certainly, like I, I think uh, the team at Cook are very wise in bringing that book out again, mm. uh, yeah. particularly our current state in in America. So it's it's very much a dialogue or a discussion that needs to be brought to 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 the marketplace again. So right. yeah.
0: What the so the question I always get is what makes a book take off? You know, so you have a a new author, you're like, I think there's something here. You know, like maybe Francis back in the day, or like what is is there a kind of a magic formula to this? This is a really good book, and they, they might not have that platform, but then all of a sudden this thing just explodes and, and takes off. I mean, every year there's always those books like, wow, I did not, we did not think this would just catch on? Like, is there a magic formula or some things you can sniff out or foresee? Or is it just pure luck or providence, I guess we should say? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, years ago, I worked for Steve Rubin at Doubleday and his his line was, it, you know, publishing is blind ass luck. <laughs> um, and, you know, of course, you've got Christian listeners. So we won't say that. We'll, we'll use that word you use, providence, and it really oftentimes within the context of Christian writers, it is God's hand on a project. But, you know, I, I have to say word of mouth is still uh, amazing. You know, you look at, for example, Paul Young's The Shack, Yeah. you know, that he self-published and it ultimately Hachette picked up. But that was word of mouth. Wait, I remember he self-published going,
0: that? He, he self-published that?
1: Yeah. Wow. When it first came out, it was self-published. And I, I remember being in Vancouver with uh, Bill Reimer at Regent College, and him saying, you probably haven't heard of this guy, but this is an amazing read. And, and for example, here's what Eugene Peterson says about this book. And it was, it was on the recommendation of Bill Reimer uh, at, at Regent that I said, oh, I gotta pick this book up. And I, I, Windblown Media, I think is what it was called then. Um, but yeah, and I, I think of Francis, uh, you know, when Crazy Love came out, um, he had spoken at a number of passion events and, um, my son had heard him speak at a chapel at Azusa Pacific. And that's how I found out about, about him was my son, Jeremy called up and said, dad, I've just heard this amazing pastor okay. from Simi Valley. You've got to check him out, you know? And, um, and so there was this kind of pent up demand, like, People had heard, like, I remember hearing him speak in January at the Staples uh, event. Like, there was a passion event in L.A., downtown. And everyone was hearing him speak, you know. And so there was this, by the time the book came out in yeah. May, um, it hit. And there was this demand for it. And while, whilst, you know, we were kind of in a new era with COVID and online sales and all that, it's still people talking, you know, still a book getting a buzz and, you know, like, have you read the vanishing half, for example, or, you know, have you read, you know, the new, whatever, uh, pick a new topic. Mm -hmm. Um, and I I think that's what happens is people pick up on a good book. Mm -hmm. Now the flip side is true. People pick up on drivel (laughs) as well. You know, there's, you know, there's, you know it's the masses so yeah uh, but uh, but i think you know i i look at in my career way back when launching jan karen with the mitford series at home in mitford mm-hmm. you know here's a woman that had back in the day you know no platform she was 55 years old came out of the advertising market and she wrote this cute little story set in north carolina um and it was word of mouth you know she, mm-hmm. she Back in the day, again, you know, she traveled to the bookstores and talked to people, Um, you know, that that we're kind of restricted by that now. But um, authors that are willing to work hard, that's the other thing you really have to. You know, I think there was a day, Preston, where an author could give their manuscript to a publisher Mm -hmm. and then kind of walk away to their hermit life (laughs) while the publisher brought it to market now the 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 author has to do you know podcasts and vlogs and um zoom calls to small groups meeting in homes and yeah. all that um and i think the reality is you just have to recognize that i have to do a little bit more work as an author than just write the book yeah. And some, some yeah. authors, you know, you can name the authors, some are, you know, way out there in terms of their marketing uh, skills and others are, are novices, but it does, it, it does involve, you know, yeah. you talking, you know, like I remember you speaking at a Q event. yeah, um, And that, you know, that wasn't just for the, the benefit of you going to an event in Denver. It was for more people, more of an audience to build around you and know, This guy is talking about, you know, nonviolence and uh, pacifism in a fresh new way. I'd not heard. So, yeah. Yeah,
0: Yeah, that's honestly, for me as a writer, that is my number one um, dislike (laughs) or like the thing I really wrestle with. And it's I think Francis and I do see eye to eye on a lot of that, you know, like the whole idea of building a platform makes me want to punch myself in the face. And yet... Um, do I, I, I always have to remind myself, do I believe that I'm writing truth, uh, in a fresh way, in a way that's going to impact people, that's going to further the kingdom in some way? And the only answer is obviously yes. Otherwise it wouldn't put thousands of hours into doing it. So right. if I believe that this is good for humanity and the church, then shouldn't I want it to fall into the hands of as many people as possible? And the answer is yes. So that whole idea of building, it's just when I see other people try to build a platform, It just irks me, you know. So I never, I never even want the perception of of that, you know. Sounds like I'm virtue signaling now, from my but I mean, I really like, I really, and the publishers know that about me, and they're like, hey, press, I know you don't like this, but can you maybe. Don't be afraid to tweet it once in a while, you know, and so I've been (laughs) trying to do more of it without looking like an idiot, you know, I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on that? I I mean,
1: I think there's some natural ways to do it, but you're right. It is. It doesn't come naturally to most authors. I'll never forget, (laughs) Preston, Uh, you know, Francis, you know, he was on, I think, the cover of Outreach magazine. He was speaking at the, the pastor's conference down in San Diego and, you know, as a publisher, we were all set up. We had the books stacked high and watched them fly kind of thing. And he speaks and then says, yeah, I'm not going to come out there and sign books. <laughs> and, you know, there's a line of like 250 pastors waiting to shake his hand and get him to sign their crazy love book. Yeah. And, you know, we had to say, sorry. <laughs> and he, and uh, his,
0: motiv- his motivation is right. But at the same time, it was beautiful.
1: Uh, very pure, and- but it does.
0: It does make him look yeah. a little bit. Somebody could take it the wrong way, or maybe something he said or did just r- radically changed somebody's life. And the thought of like just saying, "Thank you for God's work in you," you know, you impacted me. Like that's a good. That's, there could be a lot of pure motives all around there that sometimes don't work out. Um, what What are your it thoughts? Yeah. What are your, you said? It It doesn't come naturally for most authors. For me, sometimes it comes almost too naturally. For some, though, like they, they love, they, you know, their Instagram feed is like every other picture of the, the book they wrote or whatever. Look at me, you go, you know, I just like it's a little too much. Like, are you primarily a marketer and secondarily an author, or like I don't know? And the answer is probably yes. <laughs> <laughs> Don, what are what are your thoughts on self publishing? Um, I've had people ask me, "Hey, I'm, I want to write a book. Do you think I should self publish it or try to go for a traditional?" Publisher to take it on.
1: Yeah, it's it's becoming much more. In fact, I just had breakfast with someone this morning, and they asked that very question. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, I think it's appropriate, and it depends on the person. You know, I think there are some authors uh, that you know maybe may have a pastorate or a ministry where that's their focus and their channel, and it's very appropriate to contact. Uh, a you know a, a place that can self publish their a thousand copies or five hundred copies. You know you've got some people who are in ministry who, you know, are speaking regular, regularly to a variety of people, whether it's you know retreats or churches, and so they have they have that built in platform and it's a natural thing. And so yes, I I I kind of see that for. Authors that have a, an opportunity to do a bigger platform that's your last resort. So okay. let's see if we can find a bona fide, Tyndale House or Waterbrook or mm-hmm. you know Thomas Nelson, to publish you, uh, because I think your platform merits uh, a team behind it that not only can publish it and edit it well, but will take it to market. And by that they'll get it to you know Amazon and Barnes and Noble and. Mm-hmm independent bookstores but also globally so that they'll be able to license it at the london book fair Mm -hmm. or frankfurt or you know have the inroads to reach out to those markets Mm -hmm. that typically self-publishing doesn't you know allow or offer Mm -hmm. and so but i I will say it's self-publishing you know 10 years ago 20 years ago when you self-publish it was sort of like oh poor boy you couldn't get a deal right and, and it showed, you know, the covers look, you know, poorly executed and, you know, it was published on newsprint or whatever, <laughs> you know, the quality has improved. And I think the the um, outlets that are offering those services are giving better editorial okay. uh, services. And also, uh, you know, they're making sure your book gets on Amazon or wherever. Tell- uh, so yeah. it re- I think the, the writer has to decide. um a, I, I, do I want to go with a house that offers all those services and opportunities, or am I willing to invest? The other thing about self publishing, I, I should just mention, is you have to invest upfront some money. Like you're going to have to pay uh, to buy your book and to buy the editorial service and design element and all that. So when you go that route, you have to say, okay, I'm willing to invest X number of dollars. What,
0: what, tell us about the royalty difference. Like, say, a, You go with the traditional publisher. The book sells for twenty bucks a pop. What's the author getting there compared to if he self-publishes it? Um, Now, obviously, it's going to sell. Well, maybe people don't know it's obvious, but I mean, if a traditional publisher takes it on, it's going to sell, you know, twice, three times the number of books. But they're also going to get a lot less on the royalty. So, what on twenty dollars book? What does an author get traditional publisher?
1: Actually, sometimes, to be honest. You know, the public, you may get with a traditional publisher and truth be told, the publisher may only sell 3000 copies and you make 15% of, you know, net and you, so you do the math and go, man, if that's all I'm going to get, if I bought my book and sold it, I'm going to make more money because I I know I can sell 2000 So you almost have to sit down and do a spreadsheet uh, and say, okay, if I do it this route through a traditional publisher, I will get this. The other thing is how much are you willing to do? Like, um, you know, you have your wife and family, so you have sort of a built in warehouse staff that can pick, pack and ship. Truth be told, though, nowadays you can just have it on, you know, at Amazon and they print on demand whatever you need when you need it. So it it really is um, an exercise in mathematics, to be honest, and say, okay, I would get, you know, let's say you get a 15 percent royalty off net from a publisher and then I would get cost plus from printing it myself. And you can dictate, you see, like you can say, okay, this is a twenty dollar book that, you know, cost me seven dollars. Uh, you know, like you just have to do the math and figure out, okay, what is reasonable for me to sell? Um, and who do I, do I want my audience to be global? And by that, I mean, a traditional publisher versus kind of more, more regional, Uh um, through and by that, I mean, more focused on your ministry and, and who your audience is.
0: So it it used to be like a dollar a book. It was kind of the round figure that we would say an author would get. Books are going up in price. Is it still like one to two bucks a book at the end of the day? Um, what- yeah, roughly.
1: I mean, we always that 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 you know that's kind of the formula you say. You know, um, and I, I think you could make more money. Um, I'm I'm hesitating because it, it's going to vary from publisher to publisher. Um, and and honestly, if you print on demand, it's going to vary from you know what is the arrangement you made with Lightning Source versus. Mm-hmm. believer press or you know any number of independent you know print-on-demand houses
0: okay yeah yeah um so what yeah so you you recently left the evangelical publishing world um why 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 did you make that move i mean i uh, we talked a little bit offline like what what would be your what yeah What? what's your this this adventure you're going on like what do you hope to see and what you know <laughs> what would you maybe in, in a theoretical world love to see different, maybe in evangelical publishing?
1: Yeah. I mean, you use the word adventure. That's the word my wife used. You know, I remember when we made the decision, Ruthie saying to me, let the adventure begin, you know, like <laughs> we were heading off for newfound territory. I was scared spitless and she was enthusiastic. So off we went. <laughs> <laughs> and I I think well, I don't think it was the, the recognition, Preston, you know, kind of the culmination of COVID, working from home, Black Lives Matter, the the election that became so polarizing and realizing, you know, kind of stepping back. And I'm also Canadian, <laughs> <laughs> um, born in Brazil. Like I, I just I, I realized I have a global view, like my world is much bigger than, you know, what, what I've been calling the evangelical bubble and um, and so I just thought, you know, I I really respect uh, the Christian publishers. I really respect the navigators of which I was a part. But for me personally, my world was so much bigger than that. And you know, one of my great desires for this new adventure is to find other like-minded people who can speak as people of faith. Uh, people of, you know, people who would say I'm a Jesus follower and I want to speak to the broader world mm-hmm. uh, that that speaks outside of this ghetto or this community we've created.
0: Yeah.
1: And you know, I, I can write a really great novel that g- will go alongside of Kristen Hanna or, you know, I, I, I want to see a psychologist speak to the general audience about trauma mm. as a Christian. Um, and you know, I, I read a lot of books and, you know, I read a leadership book written by a Buddhist or, you know, Mm -hmm. like Stephen Covey is a Mormon and I I just want Christian writers to write to a broader audience outside Mm -hmm. of this Mm -hmm. wonderful community called the evangelicals. Mm -hmm. But I think there that many of many Christian writers, many Christ followers Mm -hmm. have things to say about marriage. Mm -hmm. Uh, about divorce, frankly, or trauma, or uh, whatever—that yeah. uh, a general audience, like my neighbor, can read that, and yeah. you know, so that—that's my heart. Is that I can uh, align myself with writers who want to write to a much broader audience.
0: I, I, here's a question I have. I've, I've I've wanted to ask you this for a long time. I don't think I've asked you this, or at least maybe thought out loud in front of you about this, but. So I, most of the books I read are by non-Christians. Um, I actually don't read a ton of theology anymore. I feel like I've done a lot of that. And there's so many interesting books in psychology and sociology that that I like to read. Now, w- w- I, I, some of the books I read, like um, you mentioned Trauma. So The Body Keeps the Score by Bessel van der Kolk. The, this is not. Um, it's not a hard read, but this is an in-depth, thoughtful, like he deals with really... Tough concepts. I think it's like a 300 plus page book. Um, I'm reading another book called Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman. This is a 400 plus page book, small font, that's incredibly in depth. Um, It's a slow read. This book has been out for almost 10 years and it's still a New York Times bestseller. Uh, Body Keeps the Score is like ranked number 50 on Amazon or whatever, which is super, super high. As you know, why? Here's my question. Why is it that, in the secular world, very long, very intellectual books be are bestsellers? Look at the bestseller lists. I mean, most of them, nonfiction are really intelligent books. but when i if I was going to pitch a you know four hundred page really intellectual book to any Christian publisher, and, okay, so maybe my audience isn't big enough, whatever, but I don't think anybody, they would say, can you get this under, like, 200 pages, you know, <laughs> and, and write and tell stories? And what, I mean, what, is that, yeah, what, what I, does that I, mean? I, like, how come that doesn't that doesn't work in the Christian world, or does it? Am I missing something here? Um,
1: well, you know, you, you and I talked earlier about I I tend to skew to fine wine, and we put out a lot of Kool-Aid, Um it's easier to generate, right? You know, you just open a little packet, add a little water, and boom, you got it. I'd rather work with an author for a little time and get out a fine bouquet of Cabernet <laughs> or a, a Zinfandel, you know, rather than a strawberry-flavored Kool-Aid. And I think I think the, the Christian market, for the most part, has tolerated or given us Kool-Aid and, um, you know, again, I re- reference uh, my mentor, Dan Rich, who always said, you know, I'd far rather put out books that will stand the test of time. And, you know, I, I was really privileged, for example, at Nav Press with publishing the likes of Dan Allender, you know, right, or yeah. Jerry Bridges, whose books were, you know, 20 years old. Mm-hmm. But, you know, put a new cover on it and find a new audience. Mm-hmm. Um you, you do talk about word length. I do think we have a new generation emerging that has a shorter attention span. And, you know, there's all kinds of research about what online, you know, of this stuff yeah. has done to our brain and how we're, you know, short circuiting it. Yeah. So as a result, you know, where we used to read 70,000 words, um, we now only can tolerate 40. Yeah, but it's interesting, you know. I still look at some of the books that are coming out. You know, you look at how kids were reading Harry Potter, and everyone said, "Well, kids don't read," right. um, but they're reading big books. And I think if they're well written, an amazing story, people it doesn't matter to the page count. Um, yeah. But yeah, I I think um, I think you know I don't want to dis- disparage the Christian industry, but I think we have somewhat cow to the lowest common denominator and said, we're going to give you Kool-Aid because Kool-Aid sells and fine wine is harder to sell and takes longer, you know, like,
0: yeah,
1: but sometimes, you know, you got to keep the wine, you know, the grapes in the warehouse for five, six years. And, you know, you see that pattern where in Christian publishing, Oh, that author just bought a book out last year and now he's got another book. Now he's got another book and that, you know, hmm. and, you know someone might want to say to them you were a one book author
0: <laughs> in in the uk
1: names yeah,
0: in the in <laughs> the uk um they used to yeah they, they used to look cool. in, in the uk it's very much like some of the most brilliant academic theologians it's one book every six years or something and they kind of look across the pond at us Americans and they kind of in their very british way kind of go hmm never an unpublished thought, you know, <laughs> and, um, <laughs> that was my, my PhD advisor, Simon Gatherkel. That was his one parting piece of advice is Preston. Don't over publish, you know, and I don't, I don't know if I've actually taken up. I've probably written too many, too many books. I mean, looking back, even Francis said, I don't want to write a book until I'm 40 years old. Like what, what right. until I have some right. lived experience, like, what am I going to do? I, do I even, should I even write a a book? And it was, you know, when he was forty, when he wrote Crazy Love, but um, yeah, that, it's yeah. Well, it goes
1: back to the tension we, we talked about earlier about publishers wanting to make money, and so if your book takes off, the publisher is immediately going to turn around and say, "What else can you write right. for us?" Yeah, and yeah. that that is the tension, and you know, it takes a brave publisher to say, "Hey, let's sit back and not generate another book. Let's wait, you know, for the grapes to ferment." And bring out a book in yeah. five years rather than five months, so right, but it, right. it, it right. definitely is the tension it's it's that wire
0: I still my, my 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 wishful thinking maybe is again going back to my point about these big in depth books that are New York Times bestsellers in the secular world my my what I want to believe Don is that I just wonder if those kinds of books written well that are thoughtful that are engaging that are in depth i just wonder if more if there is more christians who would purchase and actually read those things um but maybe i don't know maybe again like you said there's the audience is so used to you know 188 page books that are basically kind of written sermons which may, may i'm not saying that's a bad thing but you don't see that in a secular world you don't see Malcolm Gladwell or whatever writing a book that's just kind of his speech is compiled. Actually, I don't even know. Maybe, maybe, maybe that is, but I mean uh, y- you see actual writers putting a ton of time and sometimes creating a very long book, but it's um, yeah, I don't know. Um,
1: yeah. I, I, I think there's, there's um, a, I mean, I think you see some, you know, the the general market is so much bigger than the Christian market. So yeah. inevitably there's going to be some, books being churned out okay but yeah you know you look at the bestseller list for fiction you know the the vanishing half um, hmm. ready player 2 um, the mystery of mrs Christie um, the invisible okay. life of Addie LaRue or um, yeah hmm. you know those books I would dare say that the authors you're not going to see another book from them next year you know right. um, ready player one when did that come up Five years ago, I I can't remember. But um, you look at some of these books and, and, you know, like a a book like I'm seeing on the best settler list here, American Dirt, that's been on there for probably a year, maybe. Um, I I don't know how long it's been on, but it's been on for a while. And so Mm -hmm. it stands the test of time.
0: Yeah, yeah. Do you have any favorite, uh, are you allowed to say your favorite Christian nonfiction uh, writers that you feel like are actually not just Christians with truth to say and a good platform, but actually, man, this, this person is a, is an actual like writer, you know, like they're a gifted writer.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I for a little Canadian content, uh, on this broadcast, I think, uh, both Mark Buchanan, who, uh, is in, he was a pastor in, uh, British Columbia on the Island. There is now a, a prof at a Bible college in Calgary. Okay. Mark, anything Mark Buchanan writes is beautiful and, and thoughtful. Um, I think, Anne Voskamp is another beautiful, poetic, lyrical writer. Yeah. Um, and, and I, you see that in like a, a, a new writer that's just releasing for me, uh, that I think I, I really see potential, um, is, uh, Joel Clarkson, uh, wrote a book called Sensing God. And, um, yeah, I'm hesitant to start going down the list yeah, because yeah, yeah. I, I, I'll say someone and then, you know, Andrew Arndt will say, why didn't you say my name? Well, Andrew, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Andrew also is a favorite of mine. Uh, yeah, yeah. so, but you know, I, 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 will say this, I'm excited about some new voices and my prayer is that, um, the marketplace would give, space for new voices you know yeah. that's one thing about the christian publishing you know and again i won't say names but the christian publishers you i mean you go to the list and you go okay you know it's that person again or that person again yeah. and rarely do you see you know some new names populating that and i would just love to see you know opportunity for you know the andrew arnts and daniel Grothies of the world yeah. to get that opportunity to find their, you know, their niche or their audience, uh, yeah. in amongst, you know, the Gary Thomases and Max Locados of the world.
0: Right. Right. I often think from a publishing standpoint that they have kind of their high level authors that are going to sell a hundred thousand copies. They're kind of largely carrying the, the, the company, you know, then you have mid-level, mid-level authors. I probably put myself in that category. I'm not going to sell a hundred thousand, I might sell 20 or 30 or you know, maybe something could go somewhere, but it's you know. and Then you have kind of beginning authors that are just breaking in. Um, is does a does a publisher have kind of like an approach like, okay, let's keep our high-powered people happy. Let's you know that's going to carry us. But they're kind of more exploring like, man, can some of these mid-level people? I just wonder, is this the book that's going to really boom or this unknown author? I think there's something here. Let's let's throw let's invest in this person and see if we can. You know, maybe 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 there's like 10 new authors and maybe one might take off. Like, is is this how publishers think the way I've kind of explained it or.
1: Yeah, all the publishers are on their knees praying by their bedside. <laughs> because, you know, I mean, what I, I think it's last year I read an article in PW or somewhere uh, once they indicated that the midlist was shrinking. Hmm. So the you know, the the A level authors, like you mentioned, the the. The Danielle Steele's, the John Grishams, uh, the the John Eldridges, and the Max Lakato's, those were sort of there. They were expanding, and in the midlist was shrinking. And so those B-level authors just weren't being able to crack into that yeah. you know A-level uh, market. And you know, with the demise of you know particularly Christian uh, brick and mortar, you know you don't have the what that word is, you know, the discoverability people. So, you know, it's either word of mouth or trusting Amazon or a website to say, okay, um, you need to read about this guy uh, kind of thing. So that's where, you know, your smiley face on Instagram or Facebook (laughs) pictured (laughs) with your book is really important because (laughs) when you realize 65% of consumers are finding you here and not in a bookstore, you know, in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, um that that is the challenge yeah. you know so yeah but I'm, my hope is that publishers will give you know space for midlisters with the desire or the hope that as you indicated one of these 10 has the potential to be an A lister and if we foster them and help them grow in their writing you know 5 years from now they'll be a contender to replace because yes uh, some of these A-listers now are going to be great backlist for publishers, mm-hmm. you know, twenty twenty five years from now. But we do need fresh voices.
0: Yeah, that's good. That's good. I I love hearing the story about Jen Hatmaker, who I think wrote like five like, and she's all she's a beautiful writer, brilliant writer, creative, funny, and she's all you know. But like, it took her like five or six books, and then all of a sudden that one just absolutely took off. But that's I think that's an example of somebody who is like she always had it. It's just the, the first five just right. That th- didn't she have about five books or just yeah, kind of like yeah. this.
1: Uh, exactly. And you know, one took off, but then, you know, for example, at Nav press, we were able to bring one of her, one of those five back out. Mm. And it went from selling, you know, in the two figure number to like, you know, a hundred thousand units. And yeah. so, um, yeah, so there's, but, it requires you know I, I i think john grisham's a time to kill his first novel you know it was rejected by 20 some publishing wow. houses and i i think a lot of it's interesting there's a number of stories like that but yeah. it took a a editor you know willing to champion that voice and say i think there's something here <laughs> and guys i know that it's a big risk but let's take it on Preston yeah. and let's see if we can't make him and that, you know, that, um, that goes for a lot of authors, you know, it was that, that editor, you know, Jason Kaufman taking us a, a risk on Da Vinci code with Dan Brown and saying, or, or Steve Rubin saying there's something here,
0: yeah,
1: we're going to risk it and we're going to bring it to market.
0: Don, thanks so much. You've given us so much of your wisdom and stuff. And um, yeah, thanks so much. I mean, I, again, I really like you're you're my kind of go-to person whenever I have any questions about writing or publishing or anything. And so thanks for sharing with us on Theology and the Raw. I really, I've been looking forward to this episode for a while because I've never done anything like this. It's usually a theological topic, a controversial issue, but I've never actually had somebody like you on that can give us the inside look at publishing. So, uh, check out Pape Commons. Your website is papecommons.com or what's the.
1: Yep. Papecommons.com. And, uh, my son is the proud uh, designer guy behind it. Um, I don't know how to do these things, so I gave him the content and yeah, we're up and running. And, uh, and my phone is ringing in the background.
0: Are you, are you looking for, if anybody's like, oh good, I'm gonna contact Don cause I got this book idea and maybe he can look at it. Are you inviting, are you soliciting proposals or or no? Is it more through an agent?
1: I'm not soliciting, but I I, I never say no. Uh, cause there might just all, you know, I don't want to say no to that diamond in rough, but um I would simply say, if you're going to contact me, be serious about the craft and have something, you know, like don't be noodling. Be right. serious and say, Hey, I, you know, I've written this a hundred thousand word novel. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I'm just kidding. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Can you read it real quick? I, I, I,
1: yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Cool. Well, thanks so much uh, for well, being on I, the show. Oh,
1: my passion is to discover new voices and become the the steward of that. And, you know, I, I think back to you and I, we've had fun doing stewarding mm-hmm. your writing career over the, over the years.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I, I really appreciate it, man. And hopefully you can work together sometime again.
1: There's always been good food involved too.
0: Oh man. <laughs> if you ever, yeah. If I ever, if I'm ever traveling in a different city, Uh, yeah I know I can reach out to you and say tell me the best breakfast lunch and dinner places in this place and you'll have a list ready to go (laughs) that was
1: our last time actually breakfast in Nashville (laughs)
0: that's right that's right yeah yeah Um, well yeah I I don't want to take any more of your time Don thanks so much for uh, giving us your hour plus of your day yeah
1: all the best good to talk to you
0: take care